some of the challenges, uh, particularly with his relationship with the Minister Tulasi so, um, I, I found that interesting, one, though, Akona, I must say. Mm-hmm. I mean, he said he knows the employment and labor minister from their days at Wits. Now, I guess that speaks volumes about how old they are. But uh, mm-hmm. but in addition to that, I mean, just to... I, I certainly hope people I used to buy things from Abandlando Lotho, but to say, why are you buying a from Wits? Why are you buying a leather jacket? Why are you buying a You know, I mean... Mm. Yeah, yeah. So they, yeah. So they do have a quite a, a, a long relationship stemming from their best days. Um, however, they Utunzi Dabaso and does report to the minister to Lafunasi in his role where he's currently at in terms of the production to Africa, mm. where um, he is the, the board of the chair, um, which is aimed to improving um, productivity in the economy and also to sustain um, economic growth. Um, however, this relationship and the tension with this relationship has brought about um, them, um, particularly for Africa withdrawing, unfortunately for him to be brother, um, has had to, um, I, I guess, no choice. And mm. as you indicated earlier, he was previously supported not only by the AU, as I've indicated earlier, on, but there were um, other um, um, unions, um, such as COSATU, um, the Federation of Union of South Africa, the DUSA, and other um, unions that did support him and his candidacy for the post um, at the um, International Labour Organization. However, it has come to a halt for him um, at this moment. Look, I mean, I, I don't know how much, well, I don't know much about how, you know, some of these contests work, but, but are you allowed to continue with your race, I guess, if, um, you know, the country from which you, you come doesn't necessarily support you in any official capacity? Yeah, but I think for here, twofold, Ayangaba, the AU has also come through quite strongly, um, saying that one that they want to put forward the um, Mr. Gilbert Hopi of Togo. Mm. So um, I think the AU, um, as, a, as a body, and then putting forward a name, um, does provide some strong support and also some lever in terms of the, the person that they put forward. And if he had to do it independently, I think it would be much more difficult um, to convince the body who, um, that is um, headquartered um, in Sweden. Um, so I think it will be a, a difficult task. Um, and with regards to the AU, I think it just makes it a, a much more easier task um, to get past in terms of the interviews and in terms of the candidacies mm. that will be put forward. Yeah, yeah. It's a very interesting story. And uh, I guess mm. we'll certainly be following the, the latest developments on that particular one. The other one I found quite interesting uh, was uh, the story about a feasibility study looking at how South Africa's 6,000 abandoned mines, now there are many of these, I mean, least of all here in the Gauteng City region, uh, many, many mines that uh, have become marginal, some depleted ore bodies, um, and uh, I guess leaving gaping holes uh, in the ground. Um, And it seems that some of these shafts, especially the very, very deep ones, might be used to generate electricity through renewable underground pumped hydroelectric energy storage systems. In Donle, Akon. Yeah, so um, in terms of the individuals or partnerships um, who are initiating this project, um, Titan Club South Africa and uh, mining re- remediation firm um, based in, in Germany are carrying out this feasibility study um, for renewable underground pumping hydroelectric energy. So it's just another form of getting energy in terms of power. So not, you may ask yourself, but why are they um, opting for the gold mines, particularly in the Johannesburg region? Um, however, they have indicated that 
the water that they need underground has already been um, filtered and is already available in these um, gold mines. And if that you start from scratch, it will be quite an expensive task because, as we know, these um, projects, particularly underground um, mining and getting the water underground, is quite an expensive task. So that's why they're using these um, gold mines that are dilapidated and are not used. Um, but yes, it's another source of energy that can help South Africa in terms of the power um, energy grid. Um, as we know, it is under significant pressure with the breakdowns that have been taking place. And as you know, from last week, end of last week, we've been at um, level two. And FCOM, as indicated last week, the power utility, as we spoke last week, between you, you, you and myself, Ayak, is one of the biggest emitters of sulfur dioxide. Mm. So, and because of, because of the two lines on coal. So this is just another diversified um, power energy source that we can tap into and not be too dependent on the current pile um, utility that we are at the moment. Mm. Even though IPPs have come into the parties and obviously provided some, um, but little um, surplus in terms of the power grid. However, this is just another source in terms of how we can capture um, and help particularly the economy grow because, mm. as you know, we are quite, quite dependent um, on the power utility. And also, I guess we happen to have very, very deep gold mines. I mean, I, I remember, you know, a few years ago, somebody saying, you know, some of our ore bodies are like four kilometers into the ground. Now, um, you know, four kilometers in there, so we baleka. I mean, mm-hmm. how much more? <laughs> how much more uh, when you have to go like into the depths of uh, the belly of the earth? Um, and they're suggesting that actually that's that's the type of thing they're looking for here. That's more suitable because the deeper your, your sort of uh, unused mines are, uh, I guess uh, the longer the distance and uh, you make uh, a bit more use of gravity, which it seems is a key part of this particular technology. Yeah, no, you're quite correct, um, Aya. And as I indicated, um, one of the core components of this initiative is the water, the reservoir of water underground that they're able to store. But most importantly is that it's 6,000 abandoned mines in South Africa that will be used in this research, in these preliminary feasibility studies, in order to initiate and how they can um, begin this project um, to make it more fruitful and and provide some substance um, for the economy. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about some of the players here, because I I guess there's there's something interesting that I'm seeing developing in the renewable space, uh, Akon, where Mm. a lot of the design high-value elements of the renewables product chains, if I can put it that way, are largely located, I guess, in mainland Europe. I mean, we're hearing here mm. German players. You know, there's also the folk, I guess, in the United Kingdom, uh, Gravitricity, which is also, you know, using gravity in this way to to uh, uh, store gravitational energy and use it in, you know, moments of high demand. Um, mm. Where are some of our own players in our national system of innovation here? I mean, already renewables take up around 11% of our energy mix. I mean, if that goes mm. up to 50%, you, you probably want to capture some of that especially the high-value elements in design, intellectual property, the knowledge and the know-how here at home. Mm. Yeah, no, so you're quite right, um, Ayabonga. So the original initiators um, of this research, as you indicated, was the UK-based company Gravicity, um, who announced plans to investigate the African Seed Mining Shop back in 2019 um, in terms of their project. However, there has been collaborative efforts um, from as you in, in indicated, regions such as Europe, um, such as the Sustainable Energy Solutions in Sweden, mm. and, and also German uranium mining company, um, who indicated who are indicated earlier on. But um, in terms of the African players, um, 
um, Titan Club um, in South Africa um, will also be part of the a partnership that will also embark um, on the study of the African players. Um, however, I think it does um, it is quite a, an expensive project and it is quite requires quite a lot of research and intellectual property and so forth. So um, Titan Club in South Africa is the only um, South African player at the moment that will be part of this project. Um, with feasibility study. Yeah, yeah, this is an interesting one here, this uh, technology, and uh, I guess I had a bit of a mouthful to say as we started, but uh, the acronym is R-U-P-H-E-S. Now, I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, I'm hoping it doesn't sort of, you don't pronounce it as roofies, um, but, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Renewable underground pumped hydroelectric energy storage. Uh, mm. That's the uh, technological approach that's being used there. Akona, TP World. Now, before we get into sort of what they've done here with a UK-based DFI, the CDC, to invest in some of the critical ports, um, both in Northern Africa and, of course, West Africa as well, and in the Horn of Africa out in Somaliland, uh, these are the guys that uh, have expressed interest uh, in Imperial here at home. Uh, DP World, based out in Dubai, uh, who are they? Mm-hmm. And uh, more importantly, I guess, uh, yeah, uh, hoping to spend alongside the CDC 1.7 billion US dollars in uh, a ports deal uh, that uh, will certainly modernize many of the ports in uh, places like Bamako uh, mm. and, of course, uh, Dakar out in Senegal. Yeah, so DP World, um, based in Dubai, as you've um, rightly indicated, is a multinational logistics company um, based in Dubai, which operates as a cargo logistics and port terminal and also is also involved in the marine services. And they've um, embarked on a, a project and, or form a partnership, um, rather, with a UK development finance company. And they will be providing a partnership to and have committed to spending um, in excess of 1.7 billion um, in infrastructure over the next few years. Um, so DP World, with the partnership that they have with the UK-based development finance company, um, will be providing um, one of the biggest um, port operators and will invest about 1 billion in facilities in countries such as Senegal, um, Egypt, and Somaliland, and also some of the inland regions in terms of Mali and Ethiopia. So it is quite a big initiative, a big project that they'll be embarking on in the next few years. In terms of what they'll be doing, in terms of that, they've indicated that they'll be providing some jobs, um, support about 5 million jobs um, across the affected economies where they'll be doing the initiative of the project and create um, about 138,000 jobs in the expansion phase of the project when they do, um, do finish up the project. So uh, it is quite a, a big project, and they haven't indicated in terms of how the partnership ownership will work. Um, however, it is noted that it is one of the great initiatives that is needed, particularly in the African continent, to develop a particular infrastructure um, in order for us um, to be competitive um, amongst um, the global and um, developed markets. Mm, mm. But I mean, just just talk to us, I guess, you know, for some of us who might not be familiar with why um, an entity would want to put down so much money. I mean, does this have to do with how big a consumer market is expected in the continent on the ver- by virtue of a very young population? Uh, and of course, you need this, I guess, to, you know, get your supply lines of uh, products and services into and out of many of these countries and to those consumer markets. Or is it about something else? Yeah, so it is about um, particularly expanding the, these ports and the capacity um, so that companies and consumers can um, improve logistics in terms of um, goods and services. Um, however, it can also assist in terms of the growth 
um, story that is, is much needed, and particularly in the regions that we are speaking about. Um, however, it's also quite important in terms of trade. It will boost trade in various territories and also provide um, economic activity um, in some of those um, and some of those areas. Let's shift our attention to South Korea now, uh, Akwana. Uh, now, the Samsung entity, I mean, over the last two years or so, has um, been the source of all manner of news. Uh, I guess uh, news that might only be matched by all of the attention whenever they have a release of some of their new smartphones. Now, uh, it seems uh, the uh, leader of the conglomerate, uh, South Korean conglomerate, uh, Samsung, J.Y. Lee, pleading guilty in court earlier on today to a charge of unlawful use of a controlled substance and uh, his legal woes continue because uh, yeah, this after his release on parole in August for bribery. Mm. Yeah, so you're correct. Um, so the conglomerate leader, Jay Lee, um, has pleaded guilty um, to various um, charges that have um, fallen upon him, but particularly, particularly with regards to the sedative. Um, he is in trouble um, in terms of the CL um, Central District Court in terms of he um, first shot um, in terms of he received a sedative, um, which is used in anesthesia, about 41 times um, between the period 2015 to two, um, 2020. So he um, underwent this with the assistance of uh, staff clinics, who are also um, who obviously provided the sedative um, to Jay Lee, um, but are also being tried separately with regards to this case. But as we indicated, he's been having some legal work and was previously convicted um, in Jan, particularly um, on bribery and embezzlement charges and sentenced to about 30 months in jail, and which of a year he has served before his sentencing, and he just actually got out on parole um, just two months ago. So, yes, um, the leader is having quite a few challenges. However, prosecutors, um, I think, just want to find at the moment because that's what they can do with regards to um, this principal sedative that he has been um, using. So they just want fines to be implemented um, on this charge and have indicated that they just want the charge to be finalized and him to be fined and there will be other investigations um, with regards to um, other accomplices particularly those that um, uh, were under the assistance in terms of providing him um, propofol. So so wait, was he using this propofol as a recreational drug? I mean, I'm, I'm so confused by this. Yeah, so um, in the reading, um, um, I, in terms of, I think it, his role as we quite know it's quite a demanding um, job. Um, so I think in terms of the purposeful, he was just using it in terms of just um, getting some relief um, in some of the stresses that can plague one person, particularly in, in that particular role. Um, so I think uh, it, it, it was just uh, to eliminate some of the, the stresses and um, the anxiety that um, people may feel or pressures that um, individuals may feel in terms of that particular. So it just helps you um, calm down in, in, in whatever situation um, that you currently have. But what's alarming is that it was um, initiated, to, particularly injected into him about 41 times, which is quite concerning. So it, it, it is quite baffling um, why this has been done um, at, a, at quite a large scale. Uh, look, I mean, aside, I guess, from the proper false story, uh, there's been a lot of uh, corporate intrigue as it relates to this uh, Samsung conglomerate. I mean, there's something called in South Korea the shy balls. Um, and I'm always interested, I guess, in how, you know, they're an outcome, I guess, of a relationship, a very particular relationship with the South Korean government. Uh, and it does seem now that uh, that uh, particular government is really turning the screws on many of these family-owned large conglomerates that have dominated the South Korean and uh, even, I guess, East Asian economies for a very long time. 
Yeah, so you're correct. And I think they probably learn from their neighbors, um, China, mm. um, who have done that to a lot of the um, billionaire tech um, individuals that have made quite enormous amounts of money um, in the last few years. So I think it's all about, um, as, it, as, it, as the case is in China, about economic prosperity and also not um, having an unequal society such as the one that we currently sit in, Arivonga, um, of being the most unequal society in the world. So I think they're just um, trying to curb that for their society in curbing some of the um, billionaires that they do have um, in South um, South Korea. Mm. Yeah, one of those interesting ones there. But uh, we're going to have to leave it there for this evening. Akona, always a pleasure since I'm catching up with you. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Akona Mlamleli, Portfolio Manager at 27.4 Investment Managers, joining us for our business wrap. We're going to take a brief break now. Class Booyah. Yeah, we take a look at the latest uh, out in headlines. And uh, yeah, we head out to Mbumalanga and uh, to Mbombela. Uh, to uh, take a look at the story of uh, the MEC for Agriculture in Bumalanga, uh, Mandlam Sibi, who spent a night in jail, we understand, last night after being arrested and charged with murder and attempted murder. Sizwa Samayende, journalist at City Press, is going to join us to tell us a bit more about that one.